and show us your glory, Lord. Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version, Mark, chapter 10, 35 to 45. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it that you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism which, with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, you know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for allowing us to be here to worship and to glorify your name and to hear your word. We ask, O oh Lord, that you open our understanding to receive it, that you'll give me your thoughts to be my own as I proclaim it, and that, O oh Lord, this word will be powerful to redeem and to save us. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I want you to do something for me. How many times have we heard that from someone? <laughs> I want you to do something for me. And, you know, if you have kids, you've heard it often. I want you to get something for me. I want you to buy something for me. I want you to give me something and, you know, whenever you hear that, whenever you hear, you know, I want something from you, the immediate reaction is, well, what exactly do you want? You see, we know better than to give out blank checks. If you tell your kid, they, they go up to you and say, I want something, and you go, whatever you want, I will give you, then you are going to go broke. Because they will go for the biggest thing they can think, think of, right? They're going to go for the, for the home run. They're not just going to ask for something simple. If you give them a blank check, they're going to cash it to the biggest tune possible. And you see, that happens with us. Whenever we hear somebody say, I want you to do something for me, we immediately stop and say, well, tell me what it is that you want. And after we talk about it and discuss it, then we'll decide if you can have it, if it's good for you. You see, parents have to do that all the time because sometimes kids ask for things that are not good for them. If they ask for 
you know, third cup of hot chocolate at night and you give it to them, you're in for a long night, right? Because they'll be bouncing off the walls. So we have to use discernment when somebody asks for something and decide, okay, is this good for you or not? Does it fit into our plants? Is it something that we can manage? Does it actually fit in the budget? You know, whatever it is that we have to consider needs to be considered whenever we hear a request like that. When the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus, James and John, they came to Jesus, they sounded just like that teacher. We want you to do something for us. They didn't say what the something was initially, you know. We just want you to do something for us. Come on, you, you can do everything. Well, we want you to do something for us. But Jesus was like a wise parent. He said, okay, what do you want me to do for you? What is it that you want? What is it that you're seeking? You know, it would be easy for us to continue to analyze this exchange but exchanges like this don't take place in a vacuum. There's always a context. And so I want you to hear the context in the Gospel of Mark of what is going on. Because Mark tries to give us the narrative of everything that Jesus is doing and how he is preparing himself to go to Jerusalem to give his life for us. Mark is a gospel that focuses more on the passion and the death of Jesus than any of the other Gospels. That is the focus in the Gospel of a lot of the telling of the story of Jesus. How does everything build up and lead to Jesus going to Jerusalem to give his life for us? And so in the prior chapters, what we hear about is we hear about Jesus trying to help his disciples understand the first that he is the Son of God, and second, that he has come for the purpose of giving his life for us on the cross. And so if you look at the prior chapters, the John, James, and Peter get to experience the transfiguration of Jesus. They go up to the mountain with him and see him glow like a glow stick. They see him go bright with the glory of God. And you know, the minute they saw that, they said, oh yeah, this is cool. I could get used to this. You know, we like glory. Amen? We like glory. And if you get a glimpse of glory, you want more glory. If you get that experience with Jesus of his glory, you, you're like, Jesus, keep that glory coming. I want to get some more. And so they had experienced that transfiguration of Jesus they had been at the mountaintop of Jesus, and then when they had come down from the mountaintop, Jesus wants to bring them back to the reality of what's going to happen. And he tells them, Son of Man is going to be killed. I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and they're going to reject me, and they're going to kill me. Do you remember what happened when he told them? Peter said, that's a terrible idea. We got to rethink that plan. We got to come up with a better plan. He pulled the Jonah moment. Let's run the opposite direction. Let's get as far away from this as possible. We just won't go to Jerusalem. You'll be safe. You see, and if you remember what happened in that story, Jesus had to rebuke Peter. He said, no, 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 you're thinking of, of human things. You're thinking about things from a human perspective. This is what I came for to give my life in Jerusalem. But we know that the disciples didn't get it. 
He tried to explain to them that he would experience violence and rejection and torture in Jerusalem and even death. And they didn't get it. And Peter had been rebuked for trying to say, let's find another way to do this. And James and John see their opportunity to turn the inner circle of three into an inner circle of two. They go to Jesus and they say, we want you to do something for us. We want you to grant us to one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left. Did you notice they didn't mention Peter at all? Peter got left out. The inner circle of three around Jesus, they wanted to turn into a circle of two. Grant us to be one at your right hand and one at your left. And you know, sometimes we ask God for things and I almost feel like goes, God goes, huh? Have you not been listening to anything I've been telling you? Have you not been paying attention to everything that has taken place? I mean, Jesus literally told them, you don't know what you're asking for. You don't understand the implications of your request. And you know, that is so true. So often we ask for things and we don't stop to think about all that goes with that request. We don't understand that our asking for something has consequences. And that those consequences we might have not really considered and taken into account in making our request. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking for. That was his nice way of saying, bad request, bad request. Think about what you're asking for. He says, are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they immediately say, oh, we're able. Just reminds me of when my kids say, yeah, I can pick up my room when I want to. But it doesn't happen, right? They, they immediately say, oh, we're able, we can do that. And that's when Jesus realized how clueless they were about what they were asking about. When they just quickly said, yeah, we can do that. Jesus knew that they didn't understand that when he talked about drinking of the cup that he drank, he was talking about spilling his blood, shedding his blood for us on the cross. And that when he talked to them about being baptized with the same baptism that he was baptized, it was a reference to his death and resurrection, the new life that Jesus was going to bring through the sacrifice on the cross. And do you remember how many of the disciples were willing to drink from the cup and be baptized with a baptism when it came time? Zero. Every one of them ran. Peter tried to, like, go in the garden and check out what was going on. And when they identified him as one of the disciples, what did he do? Denied him three times. See, at the end of the day, even though they said they were able, none of them was really willing to go the distance and follow Jesus all the way to the cross, to the sacrifice, to the giving of themselves all the way to death. Jesus told them that it wasn't up to him to grant who was going to be at the right and the left hand of him. Clearly, this was left up to God the Father and that that was up to God and he had already set that up. But by this time, 
the other ten disciples had overheard what was going on in the conversation. And they got angry with the two brothers. And you know, I really think they got angry because they didn't think about asking Jesus for those spots first. They're like, you know, why didn't we think of that? I wanted the first place. I wanted to sit at his right hand or his left hand. Why didn't you come up with that idea so we could go to him before they did? You know, sometimes we can't start jockeying for position and we lose sight of the fact that it was a bad request to begin with. But they were angry at them. And this is when Jesus saw a teachable moment, an opportunity to teach his disciples something they needed to learn about power and about his kingdom and about their understanding about everything that was about to take place. You see, they were still looking at things as as the people of the world do, they were still identifying things based on the power and the control and the prestige. And they were not understanding that the kingdom of God that he was bringing about was going to be totally different. He explained to them, among the Gentiles, those that have power, you know, the rulers, those that are in authority, they often use that power to lord it over you and to get stuff from you and to lift themselves higher. Sounds like government to me. <laughs> you know? They just use it to what? To get stuff from you, to extract from you. He says they use their power to oppress you, to take advantage of you, but that is not how the kingdom of God works. He said, no, 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 that's not the way you're going to work. Among you, whoever wishes to become great must be servant of all. And whoever wishes to be first among you must first be slave of all. He said, in fact, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, Jesus is basically challenging the notion that the kingdom of God will be like the earthly kingdoms that they were used to based on power and prestige. Those kingdoms in which the one that is closest to the throne gets the most goodies. You see, this is where the kingdom of God is radical. Each one of us is a prince and a princess in the kingdom of God. There's not tears in the kingdom of God. There's God and then there's us. There's not like multiple levels that you're higher than me and I'm higher than you. No, there's this radical equality in which all of us need the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Every single one of us stands in need of grace and forgiveness in the same way. And Jesus basically said that his kingdom would be one of, one of servanthood, one of service, one that would really turn the thinking of the world upside down. You see, the kingdoms of the world try to promote whoever's at the top getting everything from everybody at the bottom. And he said the kingdom of God is to benefit everybody. That's part of the kingdom, and that is all the people. Now, much has been written about that last verse. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many this, in essence, is what Jesus had been trying to get his disciples to understand 
for quite some time. He didn't come so that they could put him up on a throne, so that he could become an earthly king like David had been a king, and so that they could, you know, establish their power and their dominance over the rest of the world. In fact, his mission was one of more like self-sacrifice, of giving himself up, of surrendering himself in order to cover the sins of the whole world. That is his call, but that is also our call. The call to be in service through humility, not power and prestige, not seeking our own good, but the good of others around us. You know, the word ransom here in Greek is litron. And in Mark 10, 45, that implies that Jesus bears humanity's sins on the cross. That his sacrifice is one that atones for the sins of the whole world. That he pays the full price to redeem our lives. In serving as a ransom for many, Jesus did more than just buy our freedom, though. He did more than just pay a tab. Jesus became our freedom. He became our life. You know, we know that Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. When Jesus went to the cross, he showed us what he already was. He displayed for us what it meant to be a true servant, obedient unto death, humble, because he was God, and yet he gave himself. He didn't have to do this. He chose to do this. It was a decision that he made, and he followed that decision all the way to the cross. And now following him has a new meaning. Because it means taking up our cross and following him. It's not just follow him. It's follow him all the way unto death. All the way to denying ourselves for the glory and the kingdom of God. All the way to doing for others, even if it means sacrificing something of our own. All the way to wherever he leads us. The kingdom of God is not about jockeying for power and position or exhibiting jealousy and ambition, seeking to be on top, seeking to be first. You know, he even told them, you know, whoever wants to be first, be last. Whoever wants to be ahead, become the slave of all. He basically said it's opposite of whatever you're thinking. And this confronts us with our own desires and requests to God. Are we asking the right questions? Are we asking God for the right things? Are we always asking God to put us on top? Put us first? Put us ahead? Are we really willing to drink from his cup by seeking to serve instead of being served? Instead of always seeking our own good? You know, Mark's gospel really challenges us not to seek to be the most powerful or to be the first in any circumstance, but following the example of Jesus to really look for the way of servanthood and the way of humility. 
It was really cool yesterday when the event was over to see all the people that were willing to serve. How people all around just started grabbing chairs and grabbing things and showing servanthood. Many of them did not even need to be asked. It was just an automatic reaction to the fact that things needed to get done. This is what Jesus was talking about. He was saying, you don't need to be invited into servanthood. I've already done that in my example. I've already told you I want you to be a servant. When you see an opportunity to serve, jump on it. Make yourself a servant and do for others, not expecting anything in return, not seeking anything for yourself, not looking for your own benefit, but for the benefit of that person who you're helping to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness must come first. And when it does, Scripture says everything else gets added on. Everything else gets added on. But when we alter that order and we seek our things first, it always seems like we're short and never have enough. Let us learn to come to God in prayer giving thanks and asking for his will to be done in our lives rather than how we do sometimes where we go to God and go, hey, this is my will. Would you please do it? This is my desire. Would you please do it? And so often it's just for us instead of for the good of the kingdom. When Jesus gave the disciples this instruction I wonder how many of them really went back to think about it and really ponder on it and really grasp what he was trying to share with them. Because we see later that they're still kind of jockeying for position. They're still trying to get ahead of each other and not understanding the idea of all being servants equally in the kingdom of God. Let us come to the Lord always giving thanks, asking that his will will be done and that we might serve as Jesus did, even unto death. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you for this word because it is challenging to us. It challenges us, O oh Lord, not to just seek our own benefit or our own good, but to seek, O oh Lord, your will in our lives. And we know, O oh Lord, that your will is for us to be servants for us to be helpers, for us to be blessers of those around us, for us to continue to be a blessing, O oh Lord, in our communities, wherever we are, in whatever circles we, we mingle with, that we will be light in the darkness and salt of the earth. We ask, O oh Lord, right now that you will empower us to grab hold of those opportunities for service, that when we see an opportunity that we will jump on it, and that we will be servants of Jesus in those opportunities. Help us, Lord, to just continue to seek your will, knowing that you will add all other things. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.